This episode of Classic City Crime is brought to you by Lorenza Hernandez, your local Matilda Jane trunk keeper, selling women's and children's clothing and accessories. Be sure to check them out on their Facebook group shared on our Facebook page this week for a Halloween raffle. This episode of Classic City Crime starts now. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. And I have to say, who knew the three welcomes would become a staple of the podcast? Uh, may or may not have some welcome, welcome, welcome teas coming soon. Stay tuned. I'm glad you're joining me this week in what I believe will be an episode that actually might change everything that could change the way you perceive the case and who might be involved, too. It was hard to decide exactly where to go this week, I'll be honest. There is so much information I have left to share with you. But, as I always say, timing is everything, and there are some things I just have to move slowly on. And I want to remind you that justice does not always happen overnight. If so, it would have happened 20 years ago for the Baker family. And as I want to remind you also, justice must be done in the right way, especially since it saluted the family for the last two decades. Now, before we dive into the new information we've uncovered, I do have a few updates for you that are random, but that I wanted to be sure to share with you nonetheless. Do you remember when I told you that I had received word that an inmate in a Georgia state prison might have knowledge of Tara's death? I had good reason to believe this because not only did he tell police he might have knowledge of Tara's death after he was arrested for actually another unrelated Athens murder years later, I finally heard back from him by letter this week, and I'm going to be honest, it was a little bit of a letdown. But because I brought it up, I did want to share some of this letter's contents with you. It reads, Mr. J, I've received both of your correspondence in reference to Tara Baker. To start with, I know who told you I might know something. I had said something to Chris about it, but then I decided not to get involved with it. It's none of my business. I'm in prison now, and I'm not going to put my life in any type of jeopardy. I'm sorry, but I just can't say anything to anyone, so I can't help you. I pray you'll find someone that could put you on the right path. So there are a few things I want to note about this letter. Number one, I haven't established which Chris or who Chris is that he's talking about, so I hope to be able to follow up with you on that soon. I hope and pray one day he will change his mind, that if indeed he does hold a key to Tara's story, that he'll reach out to me. But as is the case often, and as Dr. Parati has pointed out before, he could have simply claimed to have knowledge without actually knowing anything about the truth. It's a common occurrence in criminal activity. We may never know. Anyway, remember Ashley, Tara's roommate at 160 Fawn Drive in 2001? The duo had become close friends since their days at Georgia College in Milledgeville, where they were both in the AD Pi sorority together. Shout out to all the AD Pi sisters who have been so supportive and who are listening to the podcast right now. You'll recall that Ashley was out of town on the day Tara was murdered and that she was asked to walk the scene by investigators not long after the fire had taken place to see if anything appeared odd, stolen, out of place. It's been a few months since I have talked with Ashley, but we got to catch up just before recording time. I've learned so much since she and I first chatted that I wanted to follow up on just a few random questions that I've posed to roommate Valerie at the time, too. Tell me more about the last time that you saw Tara. Um, I know that it's been a while since we've talked and caught up, and I've learned a lot, and the people have learned a lot, and, you know, it's been a while since we talked. So when was the last time you saw her? Uh, well, it was in 
night before, um, we, uh, I guess she was just sitting down to have supper and watch a movie, and I was packing up to leave for the weekend. You know, we, we discussed it was her birthday coming up and, you know, what she was going to be doing with her boyfriend and then getting together probably Sunday to do dinner to, for us just to celebrate. And um, do you remember um, if she said anything about anyone specifically, or was it just normal chat? Just chit-chat. I mean, again, I'm, she had her feet propped up, you know, <laughs> shoes off, just comfortable. Um, said she was in for the night, you know, not really doing anything. We loved watching old classic movies, so she had one of those on the TV. And like I said, they were, she was saying that she and her boyfriend were doing something the next night to celebrate. Um, you know, just a normal, hey, have a great weekend, you know, and make plans for later. You know, just a normal, you, you know, what you do with your roommates and friends. Right. And was, let's see, so that was after she got back from the law library. So do you remember what time that was? You know, being 20 years ago now, it, I mean, it was evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, probably six or seven o'clock, mm-hmm. if not later. I mean, sorry, I can't give a definite time. Like I said, it was probably dark out by the time I left. Yeah, okay, so. no problem. And you think that it was after she got back from the law, law library? Yes, okay. she definitely was because, uh, you know, she. I know she said she was in for the night. Because if you're sitting down watching a movie eating, you're not going back out again. That's... Yeah, I'm not going back out again. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little interesting. I was actually always under the impression that Katie and Eugenia at the law library were always the last people to see Tara, but it seems that based on Ashley's recollection that she was the one to see Tara last that evening. The thing that we found a lot about in this podcast was just um, this attorney that Tara worked with at Fort and Bentley and Griffin. Did you ever hear Tara mention him or him flirting with her or sending her flowers, anything like that? Um, not, I mean, she did say he was flirting with her at the office, I think. At first, it was kind of, you know, uh, you know, kind of makes a girl feel good that a guy's like, make, you know, point mm-hmm. give attention. But then she definitely backed off, you know, and she never reciprocated, I don't want to say at all. But yes, I think he, he, he made it known that he found she, her attractive. Um, I mean, he never, I never met him. Uh, that's what you, I mean, he never came over to the house. Got it. We, you know, she never, she's very professional. She was, you know, that was, she worked with him. He was part of that. It was never, um, she never let him over in her personal life. I also wanted to ask Ashley the same question I asked Valerie. Did people ever drop by Tara's friends, people like Lauren? And here's what she had to say. Um, but we didn't all hang out. But I didn't personally hang out. I know they went out after work sometimes together. Mm-hmm. Or I think at the law office, they would have, you know, a drink or something. But we, we didn't all get together. Did not see her much at the house, I guess. Oh, I was going to ask you. So after you saw Tara on Thursday night, you left and went to... Uh, Atlanta with my, my, my now husband but um, to see him. Got it. And then the next day from there, you drove to your parents' house, right? Yes. Okay. I was going to a horse show. Got it. So I'm going to jump in here really quick because I did ask Ashley about Tara's biological father. It's something that came up in our Zoom call. If you haven't seen that yet, be sure to see it on our Facebook right now. But it was asking about Tara's letter that she received from her father. One thing I wanted to clarify is this. He was cleared by the athens Clark County Police Department. And the letter had been forwarded from Tara's previous address, so he had not really found her new address by all accounts that I have gathered. 
But I did ask Ashley if she remembered, as Tara's roommate, her getting this letter and the effect that it had on her. And here's what she had to say. Yes, um, we did, because we that was a topic we discussed since the moment we met, was mm-hmm. um, biological father and their relationship. And I know, though, that they did meet up for lunch, and Chris went with her. Mm-hmm. And she said it was a very nice lunch, you know, so... It made it sound like, even though I don't know if she could ever forgive him for past transgressions, but it was positive mm-hmm. from that. Do you remember when it was she met with him for lunch? Was it near her death or before? Uh, I don't remember. It had to be close. Because mm. it, it, it was that fall. Right. Definitely. And they met close to where her hometown was, I know, um, in Lovejoy. I, I believe she even met at that dwarf house, the Chick-fil-A dwarf house, um, oh. for lunch. So, you know, I mean, it was a big deal for her to make that step because mm-hmm. there was no relationship before that. I did call Chris and follow up with him about this supposed meeting between Tara and her father that he attended because it could mean a big change in the timeline and what we're looking at, but... He said that he does not recall there ever being a meeting, that Tara was very busy that week. He was very busy that week, so it's just not something that he remembers. Thanks to Ashley for agreeing to speak with me again. I appreciate her and all of Tara's loved ones who continue to speak out, even amidst the difficulties and the emotional stamina it takes, to help us find the truth of what happened to Tara on that January day in 2001. When we come back, I have a lot of stories to tell you. There's going to be a lot of me talking, but I think you'll find the information to be breaking. Information that might change the course of our investigation and might zero in on certain persons of interest. Who might the woman be in all of this that people keep theorizing about? I have an idea. We'll be right back. All right, teachers, this one's for you. I Study for Success is a national online program piloted for a year in an actual classroom in the Atlanta area. It offers teachers 25 study skills that help students to expand their reading comprehension and critical thinking skills while improving their study habits. The additional 28 social and soft skills build self-respect and help to facilitate interaction and communication with others. The sessions are thorough, appeal to different types of learners, and apply to to all subjects and here's the plus there is no training nor planning required to teach the program it's all done for you, you gotta love that rarely do you find a course that specifically focuses on study and social skills this program offers an engaging and thought-provoking way to introduce these skills to students during their impressionable and pre-employment years and has a price point that is super affordable teachers counselors and parents check out istudyforsuccess.com or reach out to the founder my friend julie Wilson at istudyforsuccess.com to empower your students and unlock their potential. All right, welcome back, and thanks again to my friend Julie at I Study for Success for being such a dear friend and constant supporter of our cause. Shout out, Julie. Thanks so much. So before we get to the new breaking information, there is kind of an odd story that I've uncovered in this weaved web of twists and turns. I have to tell you about this story that came from a gentleman who occupied Tara's unit before she did. He wanted to remain anonymous, and he did not consent to his interview being aired, but long story short, he tells the story of white men posing as cops, armed and storming in his house, 
in around 97 or 98, looking for drugs after his friend and neighbor had been caught up in some issues with these shady characters. The witness thinks their names could have been Timmy or Ray Ray, but he's not completely sure. The police did respond to this incident of the two believing there were drugs in the house and obviously due to the trespassing that occurred. And the pair were eventually arrested at another apartment complex for their crime because they stole one of the guy's IDs who was trying to help the witness. Now, I did try to find an open records request on the incident to see who were these people storming into 160 Fawn Drive and could they have come back? But unfortunately, the records had not been kept. If you know Timmy and Ray Ray, please reach out. I think it's worth checking out as everything is. And it seems there was some knowledge of some homes in Deer Park housing drugs at some time or another before Tara and her roommates arrived. So with that, it's time to discuss the big web that continues to be woven as new people are introduced. You know, there's been some theorizing by some of you, at times by myself, and even by our FBI profiler, Jeffrey Reinick, that a woman could have possibly been involved due to the nature of the crime. Stay with me as we work through all of these odd coincidences together. Yes, if you're taking notes, this is the time to start. First, I want us to turn our attention back to Ant, short for Anthony. Yes, the more I keep moving forward, the more people who come forward about his name, claiming to have some knowledge of Tara's death or him having her laptop in the aftermath of her murder. I told you in a blog this week on the Classic City Crimes Insider page, if you're not a part of that, be sure to sign up by email on our website, but I told you about my belief that Ant really did have the laptop, and... I stand by that right now. We know a lot about him at this point. He was doing drugs at that time. He was selling cocaine. A reminder, the attorney was known to use this drug, but we haven't found an ultimate connection yet. And we know that Ant supposedly went to a drug dealer in the days after Tara's murder to trade her laptop for drugs. I recently found out that at the time, Ant was involved with a woman in town who was also using drugs. It seemed the two of them did this together. Based on some interviews I've conducted, it seems they would have been together exactly around the time that Tara Baker was murdered. The woman had some history of drug use and violence as a result of that. And I want you to recall that the fire at Tara's home was set by a blanket being placed on the stove and then taken to her room once ignited, the door locked shut. I also want you to think about this little detail I stumbled upon. Words from an investigator that at first I'll admit I overlooked, who said they believed it was likely that the person who set the fire was a smoker. Because smokers know to use the stove when they don't have a light, something he contended the non-smoker wouldn't think of initially. They might have kept searching for a lighter. They might have chosen other means. Anyway, Ant and this woman dated, I'm guessing around until March of 2001, when she happened to be arrested. Just three months after Tara Louise Baker was killed, and after Ant, her boyfriend, or whatever they were, supposedly had Tara's laptop, the woman was arrested for, get this, arson. Now this could be coincidental, right? But I want to tell you what I've learned from the reports at the time through an open records request regarding this incident. 
First, I think it's important for you to note that Ant was not involved in this incident. The woman was upset that her ex-boyfriend was seeing someone new, and she knew that he was at a certain woman's home on Oglethorpe Avenue. So what did she do? She went there to confront them, entered the home, attacked her ex-boyfriend. Nothing major yet, right? But what happens next is quite stunning. She gets everyone out of the house, locks them out, and then sets the home on fire. Again, nothing too major here, right? Now I'm going to read you a line from the fire department's incident report from this about how the fire was started. Are you ready? First off, in one section of the report, it does detail the attack. It says that the victim had, quote, visible scratches to his face, neck, and arms. After she was taken off of him, she was able to then lock everyone outside of the home, and then this is what the police report says, quote, They saw a burning blanket on fire on the stove, and they tried to put it out, but were unsuccessful end quote. I must admit I got chills when I read this. It is exactly the way the fire at Tara's home was started. We know that she was connected to the man who had Tara's laptop in the aftermath. Now I said Ant was not involved in this incident of arson, but there is someone who was. A someone who told me he had been brought Tara's laptop by Ant in the days after her murder. Yes, that drug dealer. I believe this to be all pretty shocking, and I don't believe in coincidence. I've said from the beginning, too many lines cross for it all to just be coincidental. It kept me up all night on Tuesday, just seeking answers and talking to new people, or revisiting some people I've already talked to, including the brother of Ant. Here's a little bit of our conversation regarding everything that we've learned about his brother, and his possible knowledge of Tara's case. See, my brother used to sell drugs too, so yeah. it could have been possible that they she could have gave her, him the laptop for the drugs, drugs mm-hmm. because she know my brother like music and she knows something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. We, he would give us something for it. And then also your brother, whenever he got something though, he would always just explain it, who it was, either fa- female or male yeah. or whatever, but he wouldn't really explicitly say who. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, most of the time the stuff was hot. Or either he did something or he, like, basically gave somebody something and they switched it out. They would, like, barter, basically trade. One thing that drug dealer specifically remembered was Ant saying that his white girl gave him the laptop. I've always wondered who he was referring to when he said that, and I'm wondering if it was the woman we're now discussing. My brother, I know all of his crimes. None of them are like it. <laughs> <laughs> They'll look at his history and see that he could. He wouldn't even be able to do that. Majority of the time when I encountered him violent, he was... It seems more like he did, bro, because, like, she's got that type of... uh, Those type of penalties under her belt Mm -hmm. for attempting to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, effortlessly. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what it seems like. Because she don't... For you to be able to put a fucking burning blanket Blanket. on somebody, you you know, your head ain't right. Your head can't be right. I already know, but the thing about it is, even if you on drugs, that is so gruesome to do to somebody. So that that's something that that's she had an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. 
Now, I will be bringing you much more on this woman's connection. This is quite breaking and quite recent, so forgive me for not having more, but I think this puts us one step closer to the truth, another person to eliminate, someone who fits the profile. So did she and Aunt kill Tara? Did she kill Tara and then give Aunt her laptop? Was she or Aunt hired to kill Tara or perhaps clean it up? There are quite a lot of theories buzzing in the minds of myself, my co-producer, and the team that we've assembled to find justice. But this confirms even more of my suspicion that Aunt knew something. You'll recall his brother said this the first time we talked. On behalf of my family, you need, you, they need closure on that. You know what I'm saying? Like... Mm-hmm. For the person, whoever you think has done it, I, I would like to know more about that topic. You know what I mean? I would, I would like to try to help you find out, you know, that's how my family is. I, I'd like to help you find out who did it. So who is this woman? Have I talked to her? Well, no, I haven't. And you see, she too, like Aunt, is now dead. You see, just four weeks ago, she was gunned down by the Oconee County Sheriff's Office after she stabbed a dog, apparently hit a resident in the head with a lead pipe, and came at police yielding what? A knife. I have to learn more about what made her so upset that week. What happened on this day in her life? Did she know things that were involved in this ever-evolving story? I guess I'll never know firsthand. And look, I'm not saying she absolutely did. I'm saying it's worth asking. This is quite a troubling time and quite troubling timing for me as I work to look further into Tara's death. But just as I was getting ready to finish the podcast, I uncovered something new. It gets even more unsettling. You see, 13 months before Tara was killed, this woman that I'm discussing was involved in a string of armed robberies, which involved the use of a knife in which she was the getaway driver. Now listen at this. She was granted immunity in exchange for her testimony in a trial that was set to start in 2002, an investigation led by Detective Mark Durham, the lead detective on Tara's case. I'm going to let you put together what you will from this episode. I'm not saying she did it. I'm not saying it was necessarily a cover-up. And I'm not saying Aunt didn't do it. What I'm saying is I feel the truth is coming. And though those who know it may be gone, there are others out there who are still here, walking, who know something. Let's finish this, Athens, together. See you next week. I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J., and co-produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. You can visit us online at ClassicCityCrime.com. Be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook, and we'll be on WUGA Radio on Athens News Matters. This will air on Friday at 1 p.m., Saturday at 10 a.m., and Sunday at noon. We look forward to seeing you there, and we'll see you right back here next week.